I like to call the, the, the sermon today, God's proof of his goodness, my salvation. God's proof of his goodness is my salvation. Before we start, I'd like to have a, a short prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for this beautiful day. Let your Holy Spirit open our minds and our hearts as we open your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So it wasn't, it wasn't too long ago uh, I had to go to a crusade. Is it okay if I introduce myself a little bit so people can know a little bit about me and who is the one who's talking to you today? Uh, I've been baptized for nine years. I got baptized at the Spanish church in Bethel, in Toronto, I'm sorry. And uh, since then, I've been very busy with the church. Uh, they asked me to be a Sabbath school teacher with the little kids. I was really surprised about that. I told the lady, I haven't even been a Sabbath school student. How can you ask me to be a teacher? But they started with, with the little kids, and they, a couple of years later, they asked me to be a Sabbath school with adults, and that was a challenge. After that, they asked me to be an elder, so that was overwhelming. I was an elder for the church for three years, and praise God, that, that was an amazing blessing. After that, I went a year to be the treasurer of the church, and uh, there's a lot of work to be. Who's the treasurer here? The treasurer. It's a lot of work. I understand. There's a lot of work. Please take care of her. There's a lot of work being a treasurer. And uh, so now I moved to a little, a, a smaller Spanish church in Mississauga. There are only about 20 people, but they need a lot of help. So my church is a little bigger. They got people that can do my job probably better than me. So I just moved to the smaller one so I can help out. That's where I'm doing all the work right now. Uh, three, four years ago, no, three years ago, I got, I got invited with Pastor Williams, which was then the uh, personal ministries president from the conference, to do a series of evangelism in Mexico. We were there for three weeks, preaching uh, nonstop every day for three weeks at the state of Chiapas, which is one of the ones that have been hit with the earthquakes right now. I still keep in touch with these people. I call them, and they're all okay, thank God even though there was a, a, quite a bit of a scare that they had to go through, but they're, they're all okay. Um, after that, I, I had lunch with Pastor Williams yesterday, and they told me, he told me about this amazing prison ministry that Pastor Ivaldo is having here, and praise God for that, and, and God is working in marvelous ways, and, and he's getting his people ready. He is getting a people ready. Whether it's you or me or whoever it is, when God comes back the second time, there will be a people that is ready. Not a people that is getting ready, but a people that is ready for him. Not too long ago, I was at Toronto. We had a campaign, this amazing preacher from Jamaica. And um, it's the first time I heard something that is called name dropping. Do you, do you know what name dropping is? That's when you drop a name beside your name or in front of your name so your name so this this guy's name can be used as a reference and it's used in every circle and an aspect of life it could be used in hollywood it could be used for a job reference it could be used where you go to somewhere and nobody knows you but you want to use this people this person's name so they get to know you a little better let me give you an example let's say pastor rivaldo goes back to brazil he wants to be there with his family and I come here like today, nobody knows me, nobody knows my name. A few of you 
you know, will welcome me with open arms and embrace me. And all of a sudden, I say, I'm from Brazil, and Pastor Ribaldo is my pastor. Now, would that change a little bit? Of course it would. Everybody would just come, oh, really? So how is he doing? Oh, it's so good to hear from you. Oh, tell him we say hi, and we love him, and we miss him, and tell him that we want him back, and everything would change. And everything, and people would know me by the time we have potluck as Pastor Rivaldo's friend. They will forget about my name. They will forget about who I am or where I came from. They will all know about me is that I'm Pastor Rivaldo's friend. That's what name dropping is. Now here in the Psalm 20, there's something a little interesting. Let, let me ask you to please come with me to Psalm chapter 20, verse 1. Um... I just got this Bible yesterday, so it's brand new. So bear with me if I take a little bit longer. It's just that the older Bible that I had, it, had, it was a new, the, the King James, and it had some weird words that it was hard for me to pronounce, and I didn't want to make it any harder for me. So I just went about the new King James, which is a little easier. So we open our Bible on Psalms 20, verse 1. And it says, May the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of the God of Jacob defend you. Verse number four. May he grant you according to your heart's desire and fulfill all your purpose. So now the psalmist is obviously explaining that God is a good God. He's saying that he will fulfill all, all your purposes. But notice that he drops a name in there. Whose name is there? The God of Jacob. Now, he wants to make God, the psalmist, he wants to present, present God as a good God. But if he's trying to drop his name in there, why is he dropping the name of Jacob? Do you guys know what Jacob means? I heard a couple of them. Sorry? Yes, you gotcha. The deceiver. The supplanter. Someone that takes somebody else's place. That's what Jacob means. So if you want to make God look good, why not use somebody else's name? For example, why don't you use the name of Abraham? Why don't you use the name of Moses or Joseph? Oh, that's a good God. If he's the God of Joseph, he's got to be a good God. But the God of Jacob? God of the supplanter? Of the deceiver? Oh, we're in for a very, very good surprise today, my friends. We are in for a very, very good surprise today. So... We know the story of Jacob. He wanted, he desired, he longed for that birthright, right? That's all he wanted for. My favorite writer, Mrs. Ellen G. White, she explains in Patriarchs and Prophets that he just longed for that birthright. He wanted it so bad. He couldn't stop thinking about it day and night. That's all he wanted. It, to the, it came to the point that him and the mother just prepared a master plan to take it off Jacob, to take it off Esau. They made this master plan not to take it, not to deceive only his father Esau, uh, Isaac, but, only, but his brother Esau too. When we read the Bible, we read that Esau came from hunting, tired and hungry, and Jacob was offering a pot of stew. But that was, it, it may sound like it was just coincidence, but it didn't happen like that. It was all part of the plan. They were just planning of how to deceive Isaac and Isa at the same time. Now there is a good thing about this. Let me, let me read it for you. Jacob didn't just want an inheritance of worldly wealth. He wanted, he desired 
a spiritual blessing. And we can all say amen to that. Now, how many of us can say that today? I don't want any financial blessing. I want the spiritual blessing. Oh, not too many amen. Huh? Not too many amen all of a sudden. But he wanted, above everything, he wanted the spiritual blessing. He wasn't so worried about money. After all, whoever gets the birthright, he will get double the inheritance, right? But he wasn't worried about that. He wanted more of the spiritual blessing. He wanted to be the priest of the family. He wanted to devote his life to the service of God. But Esau, in the other hand, had no love for devotion or religious, or religious life. The law of God was to him as a joke of bondage. So obviously by reading this, we know that obviously Jacob is the right man for the job. That Jacob is the better man fed to be the one that gives the birthright. You think that, not, that God knew this? If he only wanted and desired that birthright because he wanted the spiritual blessing. I'm pretty sure, I'm sure that God knew about this. And you why I keep saying, God had declared Jacob should receive the birthright and his word would have been fulfilled in his own, in his own time had they waited in faith for him to work for them. How many times... Do we want to make our own plans and we don't even know it goes if we have God's approval? How many times we want to give God a hand with the plans that He has for us? God has amazing plans for every one of us, from the younger kids to the oldest. If you're still here, you're still under God's plans. You might not know what is this. You might not know where it might end up. But I'm telling you that God has a plan for your life. And He... And Jacob, he just wanted, after all, it seems like the tree doesn't fall too far from the tree. Remember his grandfather, Abraham? What did he do? Didn't he try to help God out with his promise? I promised you a child. But, well, it's 10 years has passed by, so nothing's happening. I think I might give him a hand. So as every obedient husband, he's going to do what the wife said. Not even the wife said Amen. Okay, there was one. <laughs> there was one. So as, as an obedient husband, he's going to do what the wife requires. So you go and sleep with my servant and you will have a, a kid. We're always trying to give God a hand. Let me tell you, God does not need your or my help to do his will in our life. He does not need our hand. He does not need anything for us to do that he can provide for us. He does not need, when God speaks, things happen. Amen? When God speaks, sick people get healed. When God speaks, miracles happen. When God speaks, the sea parts into. When God speaks, people are delivered. He doesn't need our help. What makes us think that we can help God? Who am I to help Him with the plan He got for my life? So Jacob went ahead. He thought that he could help God, giving him a hand. And all that plan just fall apart. But we know a little bit of Jacob. We know that he worked seven years for Rachel. And that's okay. Because if, if any young man is thinking about marrying a young woman, he has to have the means to, to provide for the family. He has to have a job. But we've seen some weird stuff today. 
And I think a few know, a few of you know where I'm going with this. We have seen a, a, some weird stuff today. And I'm telling you, it doesn't matter what year it is, it doesn't matter what culture it is, if we are a godly man that wants to marry a godly woman, we have to do what God is asking us to do. Amen? He works seven years, that's okay. But what's funny is that when the things that are happening today, I've seen women working while the men sit at home doing nothing but playing video games. I've seen it with my own eyes. The women is the one working outside and the men is doing nothing but playing. Me. I mean, I'm not talking about the man lose a job because the company went bankrupt. That's something totally different. Or he got injured at work and he's sitting at home trying to get better. That's something totally different. But if the woman is outside working while you sit at home playing video games, let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. I heard of girls proposing to the guy. Like, what is this? What's this world coming to? Let me tell you, if a woman even dares to propose to me. And I know why, are you some, I know why some of you are laughing. You're probably thinking, who in the world is going to propose to you? I know how some of you think. But even if she dares to think to propose, my answer will be immediately no. Because by that she's taking that privilege for me to go down on one knee and propose my love for her. She's already taking my place. She's already doing what I'm supposed to be doing. Even before we get married, she is the man of the house. <laughs> Remember Adam and Eve? What happened to her? She made her own decisions. She took the fruit. And after she took the fruit, she tells the man, eat the fruit. So after they sin, after she sinned, she tells the man what to do. And how did that work out? It didn't work out very well. So these are the strange things that we're seeing today. But I'm, I'm telling you, young people, we're not to be led by emotions. Today we're like, oh, he makes me feel so good. He made me feel the butterflies in my stomach. Well, let me tell you something. Go to the washroom and get rid of those butterflies. Because we're not to be led by emotions. We're to be ask God to lead our life. And every decision that we make, He has to approve and He has to be blessed by God. Amen? Please, young people, listen to me. Every decision we make, make sure that God's approved and He's blessing it. It's funny how Jacob deceives his father in his blindness, in the darkness of his blindness. And then years later, he's deceived in the darkness of a room when instead of getting Rachel, he got Leah. Remember that? It's one thing I probably ask him when I see him in heaven. How did you not know that it wasn't Rachel and, and it was Leah? After all, you were seven, seven, what is it, seven, fourteen. He worked fourteen years for her. I'm pretty sure you got to spend some time together. I'm pretty sure you get to talk and hang out, probably eat together. How did you not know that it wasn't her? I guess you have to tell me when we get there. So Jacob knows that he works for Laban. And Laban didn't pay him for all those years of hard labor. Why? Because back then it was the tradition that the parents get involved in their, their kids' happiness. They weren't just going to hand out their kids to anyone and come and ask. They were ready. They were involved in their kids' happening. In the tradition was that you had to pay, the men would have to pay if you want to get married to the father-in-law. That would show that I have the mean to provide for home. 
And if you didn't have the money to pay, then you come and work with me. And after that time that you have finished work, I will give all that money that I was supposed to pay you, and I will give it to my daughter. And they both go off and live your happily married life. But that's the tradition. It will take time for them to know each other, to spend time together. None of these Russian marriages that we, we see nowadays that get married within a couple months. None of that. The parents were involved. They wanted their kids to be happy. They weren't just going to hand them out to anyone. But now God's telling him in a vision that he has to go to his fatherland. He has to go back to his own land. And in that journey, Jacob gets ready. He gets his things together. He gets his family together, all these things. And he takes off and he goes back. But in that journey, something happened. Something amazingly happened. I want you to read it with me. Let's, go, let's open our Bibles to Genesis 32 and chapter 4. <clears throat> Remember, Esau is still at home. And he has been cheated of his birthright. Year has passed by. But let me tell you, when you have done something and you haven't repented, and you haven't confessed, it will cut up to you. It doesn't matter how long ago it was. If you haven't confessed it and repented enough, it will cut up to you. So Isa is still at home. He's still upset that his birthright got taken away from him. But listen how Jacob is trying to play this thing. Let's go to Genesis chapter 32, verse 4. And he commanded them, saying, Speak thus to my Lord Esau, that your servant Jacob says, I have dwelt with Laban and stayed there until now. You see this, the words that Jacob is using to address Esau? My Lord Esau, that your servant Jacob. He's trying to make things smooth. He's trying to calm him down a little before, before I get there. You go and tell him. And you're going to use these words so he can just start coming down and start relaxing a little bit before I get there. But the messengers come back with a message as well. And we will read that in verses 6 and 7. Then the messengers returned to Jacob saying, We came to your brother Isa, and he also is coming to meet you with 400 men of war. Now why would Esau need 400 men of war? To welcome him with open arms and embrace him? I'll tell you why. He came to get rid of them all. 400 men of war, he came to kill them all. Now Esau is desperate. Sorry, Jacob is desperate. He's worried, he's afraid, he's scared. And we read that in verse 7. So Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed, and he divided his people that were with him and the flocks and the herds and the camels into two companies. Why? Because if he comes to attack us, one have the chance to flee for their life. And in that moment, he left Laban already. He's on, the, on his way back home. He's in the middle of the night, in the middle of nowhere, surrounded by teeth. He can't go back to Laban. He can't meet his brother Esau because he's about to kill him. What do I do? Where do I go? And he made the decision that probably most of us would make that exact moment. He decided to spend the night in prayer. And we, just, we can read that 
prayer in verse 10 and 11. He says, I am not worthy of the least of all the, all the mercies and all of the, of the truth which you have shown me, shown your servant. For I goes over the Jordan with my staff, and now I have become two companies. Deliver me, I pray, from the hand of my brother, from the hand, from the hand of Isa, for I fear him, lest he come and attack me and the mother of my children. His worst worry was, he was worried about two things. His sin, he faces the sin that he committed years and years ago. He's facing it now. And now he's worried that all his innocent family is going to have to pay for it. All of his children and the mothers and all everything that he had and worked for, they're all going to get killed. Now he decides to spend the night in prayer. Is that a good decision? Very good decision. Have you listened to your prayers lately? When was the last time you got home, closed the door, locked your door, and went on your knees and you told God exactly what is happening in your life? When was the last time? Well, here Jacob's decision is to spend the night in prayer. And I will tell you, while he's praying, something happened. Let's read in verse 24. Then Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the break of day. Now when he saw that he did not prevail against him, he touched the socket of his hip. I know that some other translations, they say the, uh, the leg or the uh, thigh. And the socket of Jason, J Jacob's hip was out of joint, and he wrestled with him. And he said, let me go for the day breaketh. Now, now... He is in the middle of his prayer. He's in the middle of the night praying for deliverance. And now he feels that somebody touched him in his shoulder. He gets up and starts wrestling with this man. He thinks he's a man. And he starts wrestling with him, wrestling with him. It's, can you imagine when we were small, the older guys, when we were small and we played that we were wrestling with our little friends, how long it took to get tired? Not too long. Five minutes. <gasps> right? But... Here the Bible says that he wrestled the whole night. Jacob was a strong man. A very strong man. So he's wrestling with this man. And we think he sees a man. But the man says something very interesting. He said, let me go because the day breaketh. Let me go because the sun is coming up. Now the Bible says that no one can see God and live. Because he's consuming fire. Now why is he truly saying, let me go because if the sun comes up and you see me, what's going to happen to Jacob? He will probably die right there. Not probably. He will die right there. So that's why this man is telling him, let me go before the sun goes up. And then he's, I'm pretty sure that Jacob's still struggling with him and wrestling him and pushing him and doing everything he can. And then when this man noticed that he's not giving up, okay, now I have to do something. What do he do? He touch him. He just touch him in the leg and he comes out of joint. Now, which man has the power to touch somebody else's leg and he comes out of joint. Nobody. Ellen U. White says that in, right in that moment is when he knew that he was face to face with God. When his leg came out of place, that's when he knew that he wasn't fighting any man. That's when he knew that he was fighting God himself. And that's why he makes that decision. 
Even though he was a strong man, he said, I won't let you go until you bless me. He's not boasting about how strong he is. He's not boasting about, I can hold you back here until I want. He's, now that he knows that he's fighting with God himself, now I won't let you go until you bless me. Why? Because I'm a, my whole family is about to get killed because of my sin that I committed years ago. My whole family is about to be wiped out because of my sin. Now I won't let you go until you forgive me. Now that's a prayer. That's a prayer. I won't let you go. I won't get off my knees until I have the assurance that you have forgiven my sin. In the book, The Great Controversy, the prophet tells us that our pioneers, they used to spend the whole night in prayer for their neighbors. Could you imagine that? The whole night for their neighbors. I don't even spend half an hour for myself. And I don't think I'm alone in this. Prayer. That's a prayer. I won't let you go until you bless me. I won't let you go until you forgive my sin. Because I know because of my sin, my innocent family is going to get wiped out. Now I need you to forgive me. I need to have the assurance of your forgiveness. And then that man drops a question. Simple question. What is your name? What's your name? And he said, Jacob. Let's read that together. Verse 27, 28. So he said to him, what's your name? He said, Jacob. And he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have struggled with God and with men, and you have prevailed. The promise that his sin was forgiven, it was that he got his name changed. What's your name? You know what Israel is? Jacob means the deceiver. You know what Israel means? It means one that rules with God. So Jacob went from being the deceiver to be the one that rules with God. Amen? And the, the, the assurance that his sin was forgiven is that his name got changed. Now so let's, let's look at something amazing in Revelation chapter 2. Quickly. Let's go to Revelation chapter 2 and verse 17. Revelation chapter 2 verse 17. An amazing promise that will give us that beautiful hope in our hearts. Revelation chapter 2, 17 says, He, who, he who, who has ears, let him hear what the Spirit said to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna to eat. And I will give him a white stone, and on that stone a new name, written no one knows except him who receives it. Now the promises of God here is to all of us. Not just Jacob. He already changed the name of Jacob from Jacob to Israel. Now he's saying the promise is that for us, that for us we also will have a new name. How many can say amen to that? How many, how many likes the name you have? I'm pretty sure we all like the name we have. But how many just long for that new name? We, I want that new name even though I like my name. But I want to know, I want to know what my new name will be. Because then I know that I had the victory. Then I know that I survived. Then I know that God forgave me, that He saved me. Notice that it was God that came to Jacob. It was, didn't Jake, Jacob didn't go to God. It was God that came to Jacob to save him, to change his name. And the promise is that we will also get our name changed. There's another story in Joshua chapter 2. For the sake of time, I just quickly go over it. Joshua chapter 2, there's a, there's a woman that her life could also get transformed by the, by the mercy and God's grace. 
Joshua chapter 2 verse 1 to 4 he says that Joshua sent spies to spy on Jericho they were about to take the land so he said send two spies go see how it is so when the king of Jericho heard about them they went and hide in somebody's house remember who it was? Rahab they went and hide, they went and hide in the house of Rahab now the king says send messengers to Rahab and said hey those men that were, that were in your house they're here to spy our land please give them up and she hid them and she said well I know there were two men but I don't know where they're from now why did Rahab hit those two spies let's go to Joshua quickly Joshua chapter 2 and she will say some amazing words Joshua chapter 2 verse 9 to 11 she doesn't give those uh, spies up. She hits them. But listen why she hits them. And said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land, that the terror of you has fallen on us, and that all the inhabitants of the land are faint-hearted because of you. For we, know, for we have heard how the Lord dried up the waters of the Red Sea for you when, when came up came out of Egypt. And what you did to the two kings in the Amorites and were on the other side of the Jordan, Sio and Og, who you utterly destroyed. And as soon as we heard these things, our heart melted. Neither did there remain any more courage in anyone because of you. For the Lord your God, and these are the amazing words. For the Lord your God, he is God of heaven above and in earth beneath now this is a woman that have no idea of the law of God she's a prostitute she have no idea what the law of God says but because of they heard of what God is doing for these people they're all afraid they're all scared and then she says your God is a true God your God is God in heaven and God on earth that's why we're so scared because you heard of everything he's done for you and you would really want to know why they get so afraid because of their marching. Remember that they have to march around Jericho seven times? When we read pictures and prophets, it will tell us how it ha it's how exactly happened. And until not too long ago, I thought that you just get together unless you just go and march. That's how I thought it, they did it. But that wasn't it. They would be very organized. They had seven men of war in front. She says that they're angels before the camp and after the camp. So they had seven men of war in front. Then they had the Ark of the Covenant, covered by a halo. And then be, be, behind the Ark of the Covenant, there were the priests dressed in the priestly garments, and they are the ones that have the horn. And after the priests, there will be every tribe of, the, of Israel with their banner. And they will march around the city. And it will come to a time. Can I use this one? That's good. Okay. So they will come to a time that they will march around the city and the city will be so quiet, so quiet, they're so afraid. They know who this God is. They don't know what he's going to do for them now. But the city was so quiet that all they heard was the marching. Now, can you imagine a city being so quiet that all you heard is people marching around your city? 
and being so afraid because they don't know what's going to happen to you. And when those seven priests will blow the horn, the city of Jericho is underneath mountains. And all those mountains, he says, that made that sound amazingly loud. Very, very loud. And you've seen this, you heard these people marching. And all of a sudden, you heard these trumpets go as loud as you can. Wouldn't that send chills down your spine? Knowing that it's God that's doing that for them. But listen to me now. There's something very interesting because we're talking about a prostitute that is saved by grace. That she is saved and her life is transformed for believing in this God that she claims that is the God of heaven and the God of earth. In the book, Living by Faith, page 15, the prophet said, She, in common with all the people of Jericho, have heard how the Lord dried up the waters of the Red Sea and how He had led the Israelites. But she alone, of all the inhabitants of Jericho, believed that the hand of, God, the, the hand of the Lord was in the matter. Only her, out of the whole city, believed that it was God doing it for them. That's why she believed. And that's why she came to say, I know that your God is the God of heaven and the God of earth. And we're talking about a prostitute. Verse 12 and 13, she asks for something. Let's read verse 12 and 13. Now therefore I beg you, swear to me by the Lord, since I have shown you kindness, that you also will show me kindness in my father's house and give me a true token and spare my father and my mothers and my mothers and my brothers and my sisters and all that they have delivered our life from death. So the men tell them an answer. Okay, you were good to us. We're going to be good to you, but we need you to do something for us. Verse 18. Unless when we come to the land, you bind this line of a scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And unless you bring your father, your mother, your brother, and all your father's households to your own house. So here's the deal. I will give you a cord. The color is red. And you will hang it in the window from when you let us out. Now, why the color red? What does that color mean? I heard a couple answers. The blood of Jesus. That's right. Remember the last plague in Exodus? What did they have to do to be safe? They had to make the sacrifice and paint their doors with the blood of the sacrifice. That when the angel of death would pass through the city, they would see the color red and people would get saved by the blood of that land that represent the blood of Jesus. Now they give them this core. It's also red. And she said, you'll be saved by this, by this core." you will also be saved by the blood of Jesus. And we're talking about a prostitute. And if that isn't enough, if we go to Matthew, Matthew chapter 1, what is in Matthew chapter 1? All the lineage, all the Jesus family 3, and who do we have there in, in verse 5? We have Rahab, the prostitute. She wasn't only safe from the destruction of the city, now she belongs to Jesus family 3. Now she belongs in Jesus family lineage. Isn't that amazing that a prostitute can go that far to belong to Jesus' family? If that doesn't give hope to you and me, I don't know what else will. It doesn't that, it doesn't that give you the, the hope that we can't too make it. 
It doesn't matter how far we've gone. We're talking about a prostitute here. We're talking about someone that didn't know God. We're talking about someone that didn't know about the law of God. But she trusted in God. And she knew that God was doing all that for them. And because of that, she got saved from the destruction. And because of that, she was brought into Jesus' lineage. And because of that, if you look at Hebrew chapter 11, with the whole of faith, there is that name again. The name of Rahab. Because of faith, Rahab lived. So when we get to heaven, in heaven, there will be a prostitute that was changed by the grace of God, that was saved by the love of God. Isn't love amazing? Isn't our God a, a truly amazing God that He's here to save everybody? It doesn't matter what, you're, what you've doing. It doesn't matter where you've been. He is here to save you. He came down here just to save you. So we'll quickly touch in another stories. John chapter 4, we see a woman at the well. Remember her? Now Jesus knows there is some problems between the Jews and the Samaritans. But Jesus is so good at getting and luring people in. Pulling people in. That he knew that if he, if he would have come to ask for something, he would have shut his doors right down. Because they knew that he knew the problems that were there. The problem with this woman is that she had a doubtful reputation, right? And she only had to go to the well to get water out of the well at noon when the hot was the hottest. She couldn't go in the morning where all the other women went. She couldn't go in the afternoon where all the other women went. She had to go when nobody was there. Why? Because of her reputation. Because something that she have done. And what would have happened if she dares to go there at that time when everybody was there? Right? Now let me ask you something. What happens in church when someone falls into sin? Am I right or wrong? Or it only happens in Toronto? Not in Bellevue, right? Here in Bellevue doesn't happen. So here's Jesus that he knows that this woman is going to be there at that time. And he goes there and meets with her. Now Jesus has an amazing touch to lure people in. So he, he asked a question. Can you please give me some to drink? And she gets surprised. Like you being a Jew asked me a Samaritan to give you some to drink? So he calls her attention. They start a conversation. Then he went on to talk about religious things. No, we're not supposed to worship here. We're supposed to worship over there. And they start arguing about religious things then God drops a question that she didn't want to talk about it go call your husband please let's read it together let's go to John 4 John 4 15 to 18 John chapter 4, verses 15 to 18. And the woman said to him, Sir, sorry, from 16 to 18, I'm sorry. Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You have said well. 
I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and one who with me. One who in you now is not your husband. That In that you spoke truly. Now, in the Bible, the number six is the number of men. But the number seven is the number of God. God is a God of number seven. And we have a, we have a lot of examples for that. We have a seven-day week that science cannot explain. We had a candlestick in the sanctuary with seven arms. Remember that? We had the people of Israel marching around Jericho seven times. We had the leopard that had to dip himself in the Jordan River seven times to be healed. So number seven in the Bible is the number of God. Now what God's answer is what amazes me. Because he said, you have had five that were not your husbands. Sorry, five husbands. And the one you're with right now is not your husband. How many are there? You had five husbands, and the one you're with is not your husband. That's six. But when this woman met, met man number seven, when she met that man number seven, he, when she met Jesus, her life was transformed. Amen? Her life was changed forever. Her life just he couldn't hold on to herself. She had to go out and tell, come see a man. Come see this man. He changed my life. We, we're talking about, we just finished talking about Rahab a prostitute. We're talking about another woman that had a doubtful reputation. And she herself got changed. And she herself will be saved for God. God's grace is unthinkable. Sometimes I think about it and I try to grasp how great it is. And what have I done to deserve this? And what can I give back? And even though the little things that I do good, they're nothing to God. He's still God without me. Right? All my righteousness, all my good works are what? Filthy rags. Everything I try to do, there will be filthy rags at the end. But now this woman also, she is saved by grace. God came to her and after six men, she met, that, she met that man number seven. And that was Jesus Christ. Have you met that man yet? Have you met that man? So why is your life not transformed yet? Why is my life not transformed yet? We said we met him. Quickly. John chapter 8. We're talking about a woman caught in adultery. And, and Brother Leo, he touched on that on the Sabbath school lesson today. John chapter 8. Woman caught in adultery. Let's read John 8, verses 5 to 7. We're almost down. We're coming down. We're coming down. John chapter 8, 5 to 7. You know, when somebody's preaching, he likes to hear two things. They patch it by the paper on the Bible when they turn. And that every now and then you can say an amen. <laughs> so do that for your pastor. You'll like it. So chap, uh, chapter 8, John, verses 5 and 7. Now Moses and the law commands. You know the story, right? There's a woman kind of adultery. She was brought to Jesus in the middle of the church. And they trying to set him a trap. Because the only one that can put a death sentence on somebody is the Romans. They're the only ones that can do that. But the Lord of Moses said that if one kind of adultery, she have to die. Or they both have to die. 
And this is what they're saying. Verse 5. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what do you say? They say testing him that they might have something in which to accuse him. But Jesus stopped down and wrote on the ground with his finger. I thought he did not hear. So when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and he said to them, He who is without sin among you, let you cast a first stone at her. We all know the story. We all know what happened there. And we can, if we can only picture what happened on that day, this woman cut in adultery. She cannot deny that she was cut in adultery. She was cut in the very act. And they brought this woman, but this all a trap as well. They all wanted to go against Jesus and so they can have something to say against him. So now Jesus have to deal with three things. You probably heard this before. They might be repeating. Jesus have to deal with three things. He have to deal with the with the sin of the, all these people that are thinking that they're better than her. The sire of ages tell us that some women were spitting at her face, and they were doing exactly the same thing. He have to deal with the sin of everybody that thinks they're better. He have to deal with her sin. And he has to see how he comes out of that situation. Three things in one. But my Jesus, our Jesus, he knows everything. Amen. And he knows how to get rid of that. And he knows how to help people. He knows how to save people. Even though you don't want to be saved, he knows how to save you. Even though your kids run away from church and don't want anything to do with church, he knows when to bring them back. I ran away from church when I was young. Nothing that I brag about, but it happened. But he knew he had a plan for me because he didn't give up on me. So if your kid is out in the world and not in the church and you're suffering and, and you're crying and you're begging God to bring them back, don't worry. He will bring them back. Uh, quickly, a, a, a story that happened to us in Mexico while we were preaching. Um, there were 12 of us in different churches and every one of us would be preaching the same sermon that same night. Among the 12, there were five that would speak Spanish, so I would preach in Spanish. But the other seven, they have to use a translator. And this woman had been praying for the son to come back to church. Young kid, 15, 18 years old. And she's been praying, praying, praying for God to bring this kid back to church. He didn't want anything to do with church. But he knew how to speak English. So when these preachers came and they needed a translator, who who they asked? They asked this kid, can you please translate for us? Okay. He said by the third night, he decided himself to be baptized. Why? Because he said, I'm the one who's preaching. They don't listen to him. They don't understand what he's saying. He can say whatever he wants. He can say the most amazing words. They don't know what he's saying. They all listen to me. So how can I be preaching when me and myself are not part of the church? And by the third night, he decided himself to be baptized. Can we see God, how he works in mysterious ways? Obviously, we're not going to stop praying for our kids. But God has a plan. And don't worry, when they come back, when they, they come back with that fire, that they would just want to do the, uh, the, the work for the Lord. They just want to go crazy about the Lord. They don't want to stop about it. So don't worry if they have gone a little bit far away from church. God knows where they are and He will bring them back. So let's go back to the story of this woman. Jesus have to deal with everybody's sin. Have to deal with her sin and have to see how I get out of this one. Now He does something 
weird. The Bible says that he goes down and he started writing on the ground. Started writing everybody's sin. There's another passage in the Bible where he wrote with his finger as well. Remember that? Where? Where? Exodus. What did he write with his finger? The Ten Commandments. Where did he write them on? In stone. What happened when you write something in stone? It stands forever. Where did he write these people's sin? In the sand. What happened when the wind blows? They're gone. So Jesus is telling them, even though you're all sinners, probably worse than she is, I can still forgive your sin. Even though you have done things that th you think that nobody knows, I know what you've been doing. I know where you've been, but I can, I, I can forgive your sin. I didn't write your sins in stone. I ran them on the ground. And there's that woman, probably looking down and feel guilty because she had no way to get out of it. And when she's looking down and probably around, she probably see the rocks that they were going to use to throw her. All the rocks, remember, they dropped them and they walk away. She would probably looking down, will see all the rocks around her. But when that woman looked up, she saw the rock of ages. She saw the rock of her salvation. The only one that could condemn her, she said, not even I condemn you. Amen. So how good is our God? How personal is our God? How much that He wants to save you? I think He wants to save us more than we want to be saved ourselves. Do you believe we're living in the last time? Do you believe that truly, that we're living in the last time? Are we living like we're living in the last time? Or we think we have all the time in the world to get ready? We have at only a short period of time. The prophet said this time of peace is just to get ready for what's coming. How many of us have prayed as Jacob prayed? I won't let you go until you bless me. I won't let you go until you um, take that sin away from me. But lastly, let's look at, we all know John 3, 15, 3.16. For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son. That everyone that believes in sin does not perish but have everlasting life. But let's keep reading with 17. John 3.17. Listen to what he keeps saying. This is, this is unread. 3.17. He says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Amen? God wants to save you, friend. God is longing to have you. He'd rather, de rather come here and die for you before living in heaven without you. I want to repeat that. He'd rather come here and die for you than living in heaven without you. He left his divinity and took humanity so we can leave humanity and take his divinity. He wants us with him. John 14 said, I will prepare a place for you. Have you even thought about that? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. And I will get you, I'm paraphrasing now, that where I might be, you may be also. He wants to be with us. The order to Moses in the, in the wilderness, to the sanctuary, you will build me a sanctuary and I will dwell with my people. He is a personal God. He wants to be with us. He wants to have a personal relationship with us. Now we had... Today we quickly touch on Jacob, which was a deceiver. 
Rahab who was a prostitute. A woman at the well with a bad reputation and one woman kind of adultery. What does a woman represent in the Bible? The church. Isn't that the condition of today's church? Have we committed spiritual adultery to our God? But He's still knocking. He's still knocking. Revelation 3.20 said, Here I am and knock. And whoever opens the door, I will come in and die with him. He still hasn't given up on us. Even though we're dirty, even though we're wretched, and even though we're blind, and even though we're everything that the Bible tells us that we are, God is still knocking. God is still calling. God is still suffering. God is still looking for us. He's a very personal God. He came here for you and me. He didn't come here to waste time. He didn't come here to just go around how things are. He came here with one purpose. is to die on the cross so we can take his, his divinity. So we can do what he can do for us. Sometimes you think, okay, how is it that in my spiritual life, I go one step forward and three steps backwards? I'll tell you why. Because you're doing it in your own strength. You're not letting God do it for you, friends. You're not building that relationship with God. I'm not building that. I'm preaching for myself first. I'm not building that relationship with God first where, where He can do that for me. And I can overcome sin. And I can overcome sin, temptation. And now, instead of walking to victory, I'm walking from victory. You guys get that? Instead of walking to victory, instead of walking in obedience to His commandments to be saved, I'm walking from victory where I already know that I'm saved and that's why I walk in obedience. Lastly, Jesus Himself slay on the ground. And He will willingly open His arms. He left everything. The prophet said that God will empty heaven for a person that needs help. Do you need help? I know I need help. I need all the help I can get. But she said, God Himself will empty heaven. Can you imagine that? For one person that needs help. All we have to do is ask. And Jesus in His love, He opened up His arms and said, Here, here is my life. Take it. The prophet said that when they went to get Him at Gethsemane, and Judas gave Him a kiss, to point to the guard who he was. She says that an angel passed through and people felt like they were dead. Till the last minute, Jesus had the power. They didn't take his life. He gave his life for you. He had the power to us. Just open his mouth and they will, everything will be done. But he, they didn't take his life. He gave it for you and me. Now we've seen this. The good thing is that I didn't have to preach today. These people preached for me. Jacob, the woman at the well, Rahab. All those stories, those ancient words are still giving us hope. That was written so long ago. It's still giving me hope that if they made it, I can make it too. I'm not better than them. But if God had the power and the grace and the mercy and the love to save them, I'm pretty sure that he can save me. When he was watching his, the disciples' feet, and he was watching Judas' feet, he knew what, what Judas was going to do. But he said in his heart, I deny to lose you. 
I can't afford to lose you, Judas. Even though you're going to sell me for 30 um, plates of silver, that's the price of a slave man in that day. Even though I know you're going to sell me, I can't afford to lose you. And Judas felt that love, but he didn't want to repent. Are we going to be that hard? Are we going to be like Judas? Are we going to rather have sin over Jesus and everything he's done for us? I hope and pray that not. I know that I need all the help I can get. If God is willing to empty heaven, please do it for me. But before we close, I'd like to pray for someone. I want to give the opportunity to somebody today. They can willingly recognize that I need also help. And everything you've done for me, I just don't want to let it go to waste. Can someone please come up here? I want to pray for you today. Someone that needs the help that God is willing to do. Thank you, sisters. Anybody else that want, wants to come up the front and I want to pray for you. I want to pray for you because I know I need the help. And I might not be the only one. Thank you. Thank you, brother. Thank you. I see this strong man. Emotional. Thank you. Thank you. Is anybody else? I don't want to close before. Thank you. Look at the kids coming up. Huh? Isn't that beautiful? Kids coming up. Thank you, ma'am. Is anybody else? I don't want to close without giving somebody else an opportunity to say, God, I know I've been a mess. I know my life is a mess. But you made a mess out of your life. Before I made a mess out of my life. And all you did it was for me. Does anybody else want to come up? I want to quickly close with a prayer. And there's nobody else. Let's quickly pray. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you and worship you for who you are. God, we're here in your presence and we believe in the power of prayer. I want to present to you all these persons that have come up. Because they're asking that they need help. You know where they are. You know where they've been. But as we read today in these people's life, there is no one that can go too far from you that you cannot reach them back. We want to thank you for everything you've done for us. Sometimes I think that you want to save us more than I want to save myself. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. For all the beautiful promises, for the mercy, for the promises of a new name that will give us the victory. For the promises that life that we can get transformed. I don't want to walk like I walked before. I want to walk in a new way. Because you not only tell us how to walk, you walk with us. Please God forgive our sins. Help us to overcome whatever we're dealing with. You know what we're dealing with. Let us not think or say that we cannot overcome this thing that we're struggling with. Because then we'll be, we will be giving up. And if you have never given up for us, we should never give up for you. Please guide us, help us, bless us, and protect us from now on. I thank you for these people that have come up. I want, and, I, and I lift them up to you for your protection and guidance. Not just for them, but their family as well, whatever they are. Please, your mercy be upon all of us. We ask all this in the name that is above every other name. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.